Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. everybody welcome to that's not metal the uk's original rock and metal podcast with myself bees him perrin hayish and him ryan the freighters and uh something came to our attention before we just started recording when i was like perrin what did i say that i would open the show with the other day and you said i had a dream about man of war <laughs> which which let's face it can go in all manner of directions it could, so perrin yeah. i mean thankfully it wasn't that one you're thinking of uh, Perrin shirtless and with the fucking Johnson's baby oil out. Uh, specifically, I had a dream that I was forced by someone, um, you know, like with, with, with such venom um, to, to give a speech, to like, you know, prepare and deliver a speech about uh, Manowar being a religion. My lords and ladies, Manowar. <laughs> right. And, you know, I feel like... The fact that that was there in my subconscious kind of says a lot, really, doesn't it? I had like fucking like kings of metal blaring behind me. It was wonderful. What? What was there a name? The, what, the, for the man of all religion? Yeah. I don't think there was. Should we come up with one? The Mayoism. <laughs> yeah. Good enough. I mean. <laughs> oh, well, that is basically how our week's been going. I'm in a mood. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, coming up on this week's show. Uh, we review the new albums from Jake Bannon from Converges, Where Your Wounds, Drab Majesty, and the terribly named Prince Daddy and the Hyena. But yeah, Album Club, yeah, you should be. Album Club concentrates on an album that I would say is in the top 10 albums ever made and is better than every other album made by every other grunge band. Yeah, I said it. It's dirt. I'm agreeing on that second Chains. point. Well, we'll get there. We'll definitely get there. News! Right, let's do Asking Alexandria before I fucking explode, although that being said. Um, Asking Alexandria have released a new track called The Violence. It is their first new song since 2017's self-titled album. Um, my... Now, when I... Um, talk about why I'm less of a Bring Me The Horizon fan these days, right? Mm. Simple, right? If Wes Craven or John Carpenter, esteemed horror directors, go and make a comedy movie and horror fans don't like it, I don't go, hey, why don't all these people like something that is totally different? Um, I can understand that, and I don't understand mm. why that's different from music. We've asking that, but what you can't say about Bringing the Horizon, I don't think, is I think that they wholeheartedly believe in what they're doing. I don't think it's cynically motivated. Uh, I don't think it's done for 
for commercial reasons. I just genuinely believe that's the music that they want to be writing in 2019. Yeah. The Violence by Asking Alexandria sounds like music written by committee. It sounds like there's a bunch of people around the table going, right, verses sound a little bit like Billie Eilish. Yeah. Like lo-fi lo mm. electronic bass drum, right? There we go. Rest of it sounds like Imagine Dragons. Whack it together, put a distortion pedal on it. Robert's your mother's brother. Uh, am I wrong? Uh, no, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, it kind of caught me off guard because when I first um, hit play on this, like, I, for a long time was like, I wouldn't know this was asking Alexandria if, if I didn't, well, you know, if I hadn't clicked a link that said asking Alexandria have a new song. But... Um, and that's not necessarily a terrible thing for me as someone who doesn't like <laughs> that band. Yeah, that could go um, either yeah. way, couldn't it? Yeah, but um, yeah, it did. Especially when that kind of breakdown or not kind of came in. And it was it was like, oh, so the, the chorus is going to explode like that. And then the breakdown's going to not really happen at all. Like, it was, it felt very tame as a song um, all the way around. Like, largely inoffensive, which again... I'm not going to complain about too much, but um, yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from. Like rock music uh, has a very <laughs> defined feeling and that feeling is not the zeitgeist right now. What's mm. going on in pop music is fine. It's all lo-fi and minimalist and that's fine. doesn't really lend itself to rock music though. Yeah, when, when, like, when you first press play on this and you get, um, you get like one kind of cycle of the riff before everything kicks in, just that, like, the first few seconds of the riff, I was like, this sounds like it could be a decent riff. Um, but then everything does kick in, and it just go, oh, wait, no, I remember I'm listening to Asking Alexandria, and I'm listening to Asking Alexandria try and do this for some reason. It's, you know, horribly inorganic, so stilted. That Billie Eilish vibe in the verse really kind of mm. made me do a double take. I was like, well, this doesn't that's work That's not all. just me, then. No, I, I thought that as well, definitely. And, then you know, the chorus is crap as well. So not good. Yeah, um, it's it's very bizarre. The best YouTube comment for this video said that like, oh, Danny's taken this band so much that, that this might as well be We Are Not Harlot, um, <laughs> which I thought was very good. Uh, so I'll tell you what's got me in a mood. Um, so this might be a bit old man yells at cloud. You can stop me if it is. But Reese, so um, Ed Sheeran fucking words i never thought i would have to say on this podcast but here we are <laughs> boo ed sheeran um has got a song out at the moment with bruno mars and chris stapleton um it sounds a little bit like a sexless led zeppelin am i mm. am i am i right i mean it doesn't sound a million miles away from that asking alexandria song <laughs> yeah. in fairness to be honest the instrumentation probably sounds a little bit more natural than that but yeah, quality-wise, sure. <laughs> and I've got, no, got no beef with Sheeran doing that. Fair fucks to him. Mm. Like, if that is something that... Like, Ed Sheeran and Drake are arguably the two biggest male solo artists out there. Yeah. Um, so one of them deciding to do something that's a bit close to our world is fine. Like, I think that's a really good and positive thing. What's your take on... Sheeran having a song with massive, massive artists on it that sounds... Is it relatable to us a lot or not at all? Um, I feel like it. it's a very bass level kind of my first hard rock song. And I like I don't see this having 
any kind of positive impact really in terms of making rock palatable i don't know because it seems it's mm. so stale it's so kind of that kind of rock like entering mainstream territories is nothing new so well like when i don't know it was britney spears that covered um i love rock and roll right yeah yeah like that didn't pick yeah, up it's in that level world, in it. <laughs> you know and it's and it's kind of that it's it's a pop star going oh remember guitars <laughs> yeah well that's being played on hard rock radio out here yeah it's very bizarre and it's it's kind of look man i've got no problem with doing a trade-off if if mainstream radio radio wanted to play i know when square hammer was out by ghost mm. or something like that something that would fit over there but you know they don't give a fuck about us why are we extending the hand like that it's a very bizarre yeah, it, thing it, it's not like ed sheeran needs the help from do you know what i mean <laughs> from like rock radio gonna, stations like i have never purposefully listened to ed sheeran and that fucking i'm on my way song oh. like is fucking oh do you know what i mean <laughs> omnipresent out here like you cannot escape it he's like fucking the terminator or something Mate, when shape of you was the biggest song on the planet yeah. and it's kind of like awkward white boy sexless rihanna ripoff uh and that was like the biggest song in the world for like a fucking year or two non-stop all right all right i just i had to get it off my chest let's never talk about ed sheeran again shall we i'm down S- steel panther um ryan <laughs> my, my, uh, in, in my <laughs> head in my head why you because in my head like steel panther is like your nightmare come to life yeah that song isn't very long and i've got five paragraphs of angry notes about it <laughs> so. okay so, so steel panther have got a new song out called all i want to do is fuck myself tonight it comes from a new album called heavy metal rules um it sounds like Steel Panther. It still doesn't sound anywhere near as good as the Steel Panther on Feel the Steel, which they are still trying to get anywhere even remotely near. Yeah. Um, Ryan, why'd you hate it? <laughs> I want to start with a question, right? So can you, could this band at this point in their career play this a bit straighter and not be pulling so hard on the same joke? Like... They've proven that they can write those songs. It's not even like they're parodying that genre anymore. They are just a band that do that with even stupider lyrics. I Do you want Steel Panther writing like lyrics like fucking Jesse Lacey though? <laughs> no. I'm, I mean <laughs> I mean yeah, I mean no, 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 <laughs> let's not cross those streams. Yeah, let's Bad not. example, no, Terry. No, 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 but but what I mean what I mean here is like they can be ridiculous. They can be overblown or whatever. But yeah. does it have to be as stupid as a chorus that... It's a pretty good chorus in terms of... It's really you catchy. Know, you hold it up to anything that actually like earnestly makes its way onto US rock radio. And that chorus holds up. But it's, I want to fuck, fuck myself tonight. And it's just like... I almost feel like you... it's still Panther for coming full circle here. Where they've spent like four albums going, I want to fuck women. And now it's just completely... like The circle is completed. And it's now I want to fuck myself. I mean, are you doubting their insincerity that they want to fuck themselves, Ryan? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? You're saying they don't mean it? I'm not even saying they necessarily don't mean it. I just feel like it's a waste of a decent song to use it on lyrics like that and and stuff like, you tell me you're a virgin, I'm late for a past plastic surgeon. Like, 
Is that not what people want from Steel Panther? Do they not want to dress up in spandex and turn up with an inflatable guitar and sing about fucking themselves? Want something else. <laughs> That's my <laughs> advice. I'm only playing devil's advocate. Perrin, are you keen on this then? I think it's decent. Like, I don't think it's anywhere near as the good as like you know the the best Steel Panther material that people really really love. But you know, it's a catchy song. It will sound all right in the live setting. It's fine. Yeah, it's decent. I'm going to revisit this next sentence later on. Um, but I've spent this week almost exclusively listening to feel the uh, to listening to permission to land by the darkness celebrating its 16th birthday so steel panther turning up with this of this week of all weeks yeah like just ain't cutting it for me i've spent all week going fuck me wasn't this record great um and there we are steel panther less less good um, Limp Biscuit might actually have new material coming soon after playing a taster of new material at a show in Paris. Ramstein have announced a date at Coventry's Rico Arena, going for the glamour tie, um, on June 20th, <laughs> potentially uh, meaning that they won't headline download. I say potentially because I'm not convinced that it rules them out. It's only down the road from download. Yes, I understand that. And Ramstein will have their full production at that show, which I also understand they probably wouldn't be able to rock up with at download going by all of your millions and millions of social media posts about that show. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't rule it out entirely, just saying. Ghost have announced an a bunch of arena shows for the UK and Europe in November and December, so congrats Mate, to them for that. Tribulation supporting. Yeah, that is good like news. the exact booking I've been pulling for for about four years now. So I am and ecstatic that, that's happening. And that is a band with a live show that is suited for an arena as well. Totally. Which is a mad, it's a mad thing to say about uh, an underground metal band. But just you wait, ladies and gentlemen, going to that ghost show. Get in there early and see Tribulation. That'll blow your fucking head off. Uh, Foo Fighters have announced, uh, well, have not announced, they've actually just released a live EP. It's only got three songs on it, though. Slayer have announced their final run of shows in the US, um, ending down the road from me on November the 30th. Uh, see you there for Thrash and Tears if you're coming. Um, and Metallica are releasing a children's book called The ABCs of Metallica that details the history of the band. What are you laughing at, Hayish? It, just <laughs> the fact that this has come the week where we were talking about Metallica's various mistakes over the years in uh, in the special this week. And here they come with, with something like this. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, a band that becomes a brand and as a they're that old and loads of their fans have kids i understand you're gonna read it <sighs> am i gonna read it fuck <laughs> off right that's not metal.net is the place to go and get the specials where this week we argued the big four of thrash versus the big four of grunge in fact we were actually looking at uh subjects that included um most influential of those scenes the best drummer the worst album uh the most 10 out of 10 albums which turned into a right kerfuffle i have to say there were arguments <laughs> all over the place and yes it did involve a category that said biggest single mistake and then the next day metallica announced a kid's book you can also <laughs> hear us arguing about things like Ro uh, ross robinson versus rick rubin the shape of punk to come versus relationship of command 
Uh, there was Rage Against the Machine versus the Deftones. Uh, Architects versus Bring Me the Horizon. Loads going on. That's not Metal.net is the place to go and hear us argue about these things for nearly five hours. Um, it's uh, £5 a month or £25 a year and you obviously get access to all of our old specials as well. Get all of that and more on the That's Not Metal app. There is a, another recent special that Perrin and myself did on Slayer. Uh, there is a top 20 albums of all time from both Perrin and Ryan. And loads, loads more. That's not metal.net. Sign up. £5 a month or £25 a year. Questions? Get us at NotMetalPod on Twitter and Instagram. And join the That's Not Metal focus group on Facebook. There's about 900 of us in there now. And these are your questions this week. Tom Byrne asks, what was the first album that you ever bought? Mine was Permission to Land by The Darkness. Theme developing here. Which I purchased from Woolworths when I was just 11 years old. Uh, Perrin, what was your first album that you bought? Um, I'm not sure I could quite pinpoint a specific first one. I remember the first one that was like rock related was... Fallen by Evanescence, which I've mentioned before being a, a massive, massive album for me. I'm sure before that, I bought like some busted albums or like a, <laughs> a, a now compilation CD, something along those lines. Uh, relevant, I would say Fallen. When Fallen came out, I always remember my mate Scott. He was this absolute lunatic I knew and was not into rock music at all. We had Fallen on one day and My Immortal was playing Scott got in from work and turned up and went, I turn this vampire shit off. <laughs> still makes me still makes me laugh to this day. Uh, Ryan, what's the first album that you ever bought? Yeah, like it's funny because Perrin just mentioned compilation albums and I hadn't considered them, but I like the first CD I remember owning was this like Smash Hits like ninety I wanna say ninety eight, ninety nine because it had Afro Man because I got high on it. <laughs> I still loved on, as a child. Still on, still on brand in 2019 <laughs> yeah, as well, love it. Legit. Um, and then the first one I actually kind of went out with a mission to buy was the Eminem show. Um, because that was just... like when that, when that album came out, I think everyone probably went and bought that. It felt like... I remember going to multiple because H&B was sold out. Um, but then with rock albums, after line wiring so many falsely named Linkin Park songs that were actually other bands. I ended up buying Hybrid Theory after Collision Cause kind of completely switched up what I wanted for music. Afro Man and Ed Sheeran, this show has gone <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> um, so uh, I think mine, I had Bat Out of Hell bought for me and I had The Simpsons Sing the Blues bought for me. I had that. Um, but I think the first album that I went and bought with my own money I think might have been The Great Escape by Blur yeah. might have been hmm. I'm not yeah. entirely sure what the first one that I bought definitely the first rock and metal uh, release that I bought was Load, an album that I will still challenge you to a duel about to this day if you say even the slightest negative thing about it Never forget your first love and all the rest of it. Right, George <laughs> Owlsworth. Good question, though, Tom. Into it. George Owlsworth asks the big question of the week. What is the most metal flavour of crisp? Now, this question is, is kind of difficult, isn't it? Because none of them are, 
all that metal when you think about it. Like, unless you, you know, I started to go down the, oh, well, McCoy's are all fixed textured and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm taking this flame grilled steak, seriously. Mate. Flame grilled <laughs> steak? Why is that? McCoy's. Is that your answer? I mean, A, it's got flames involved. That's pretty metal, isn't it? It could be That's grilled in the fires of hell. I, I, like, I, start, yeah. I am sure that Watain yeah. would enjoy a bag of flame grilled steak. Um, you know, steak, there's blood involved. Fire and blood in three words. And it's thick textured. Fuck. Like, I thought I was onto a winner with, you know, those salt and ve- vinegar Pringles that the second they hit your mouth, like, taste like battery acid. Yeah. No. Like, they're, they're so strong. Like, when you bite into one, they, like, suck your face back a yard. We've had this conversation <laughs> like, before because I'm a big fan and you were like, you are mental. Have we? God, what, they've definitely left an impression on me there. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, we are definitely not beating your flamed grilled steak. Um, I have to say, I did cane an entire tube of Texas barbecue Pringles while I watched Power Trip at Download this year. That's got an association now, yeah. Yeah, it's Southern Rock, like Leonard Skinner <laughs> would be in a Texas barbecue crisps. Fucking hell. Did you bring them oh. just because they're from Texas? Like, that is too apt. No. Yeah. They're they're just wicked. <laughs> they're just really good crisps, mate. <laughs> oh, there we go. Mark Darnell with the final question this week. Ask great songs by terrible bands. I was listening to the radio today and Blurry came on. What radio station are you listening to in 2019 that is playing Blurry by a Puddle of Mud? Especially Did when all the rock stations are playing Ed Sheeran. Yeah, like were you, were you in your in your fucking DeLorean flying through the air while you're listening to Blurry? Well, this is it. Mud. Like they've had to take one because of the Ed Sheeran, so now Kiss is just playing Puddle of Mud once every four hours. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, I fucking love the hell out of that song. Mark says that, not me. Puddle of Mud, Puddle of Shit, more like. The, the lady doth protest too much. Uh, if they never accomplish anything else decent in their lives, at least they did one thing right. The problem with Blurry by Puddle of Mud, as I'm certain I've said on this show before, is even if you do like the song, the video, the video. of Wes from Puddle of Mud, like playing with his child in like this really kind of soft focus video is comfortably one of the worst things to have ever happened to rock music. Yeah, it's not as good as a photograph video, is it? That's, that's, not that's, even close. That's a sincere video done right. And that's, a vi- <laughs> and that's a video that could have done with... You know, like, it does, like... It's very literal, the blurry video. I would love to have seen a literal video of young Chad Kroger breaking into a school. Breaking the law, <laughs> breaking the law. Uh, right, answers to this question. Um, we should get to it, shouldn't we? I feel like we've spoken about higher by Creed enough at this point. Um, <laughs> and yet, know. here we are again. It's not even their <laughs> only good one. It's not even the be- It's not even the good one, which is my sacrifice. Max, obviously. my sacrifice is the best one. Higher is also good. So they've got two. Yeah, it is good, at least. actually. <laughs> the disrespect yeah. you lot are putting on with arms wide open right now is ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, but no, <clears throat> so like I. Weirdly, you know, speaking of, I might have been had the same radio station on as this guy, but um, overheard in like in the shadows by the Rasmus the other day, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's no. actually serious, ladies no. and gentlemen. No. He's got a serious face <laughs> on as he said it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> 
See, do you know what? I was worried this was going to happen, and I was almost chicken out. You should be worried that this is going to happen. I hope everyone out there has just thrown their headphones out in disgust. The the worst part about all of this is that I had POD you for the nation as like a backup credible option. Oh yeah, I like you for the nation. I like the whole of that satellite album. To be fair, fucking drums at the start of that. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, Karen, say something worse, please. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, good luck with that. Yeah, the answer that always comes to mind for me for this question is Weightless by All Time Low, which is... Oh, that's a massive change. It's fucking huge. I hate everything else about All Time Low, but Weightless can stay. Um, can I put forward Hocus Pocus by Insane Clown Posse? Can. Which is definitely can. Yeah, when he comes in saying, Abracadabra, boom, shakaday, I'm Violent J and I'm bat like a vertebrae. That completely justifies everything that's ever happened around Insane Clown Posse, as far as I'm concerned. All right, then, fucker. I'll try and play your game. If you're, I mean, it's no. It, is Heaven is a Half Pipe as bad? No, Heaven is, heaven is a Half Pipe is rubbish. Um, <laughs> what else? Have you I can't got? put forward songs you don't like. That defeats the object. No, I know. I was, just try, I was just trying to make Ryan feel better. Like, what else is. You don't like Butterfly by Crazy Town by any chance, do you? That would help me right out. Do you know what? I have been known to dabble yes. in Butterfly by Crazy Town. If, you, if you've seen me DJ, there is high chance that, that I've got a brilliant story for you actually involving this. This is, this is incredible, right? So I was DJing the Reading Festival um, after hours. And it, in like one of the best and worst moments ever, right? I had Abe Cunningham from Deftones doing the rolling dance by Limp Biscuit. I shit you not, right? Also, I had Abe Cunningham look at me like I'd just farted and he'd just smelt it shaking his head when I played Butterfly by Crazy Town. <laughs> Abe well, Cunningham I mean, from Deftones got to draw a line somewhere, like, I guess. Like, looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but, you know, sugar, baby. What can I say? Um, there we go. Mark Darnell, I hope you're pleased with what you've done. Now nobody can take Ryan seriously ever again. You just said butterfly. <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I did. I did. I'm purely fucking around here. Right. I, I know Join people who are la- legitimate Rasmus fans. So, God, What is wrong with these? Your generation <laughs> sucks. It absolutely sucks. Right. That's not metal. You can get us at not metal pod on Instagram, on Twitter. Although, why you would ever want to talk to any of us ever again after the last three minutes, I, I don't know. Uh, and you join the that's not metal focus group on Facebook. Loads of fun going on in there all the time. Album reviews. Let's open with Drab Majesty and their album modern mirror drab majesty are a band that have had something of a growing reputation in recent years their album the demonstration in 2017 was very very good indeed and this is its follow-up um they've been taken on tour with uh the smashing pumpkins i believe a perfect circle have taken them out as well mm. uh so Death yeah heaven. Big pe- yes, Def Heaven. Mm. Yeah, they played the Wilton with them here. Um, so yeah, big pedigree for Drab Majesty. Now listen here, posers. Um, if you stepped up onto social media while the Cure were doing Glastonbury and went, "Oh, I love the Cure," right, and <laughs> then <laughs> you ignore this album, 
<laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I read it, all right? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you read all tweets in Monty Python voices? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, just, I've got, like, I'm clearly just very bothered by this Ed Sheeran thing, and I just can't shake it. I was going to say, you're not encouraging many people to check this out by immediately fucking <laughs> aggravating everyone and cussing everyone out. <laughs> I'm not, right? I'm not. But what I am saying is that if you do, oh, I like the cure, um, then you, uh, or if you dabble in Depeche Mode and the Cocteau Twins and Echo and the Bunny Men and all these other hipster bands that everyone says they like today, then you have to listen to this. You do, you do, you do. Perrin, I know you have a mutual love for all this sort of stuff that I was just talking about. And the Dave Garn vibes at bits of this album are super high, are they not? They are indeed, yes. Uh, Drab Majesty's previous album, the one you mentioned, I heard at the time and I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was decent. It didn't like completely pull me under its spell in the way, you know, the Black Queen did or that last Black Audio album has. Um, but I thought, it, you know, there's something here. Keep an eye on it. This is precisely the kind of um, step up in quality that I really wanted from this band because this album is fucking wicked. Um, it's, I knew you'd love it and all. Yeah, it's it's all round kind of catchier, more more accessible, but not in a way that compromises the amazing kind of atmosphere and the the textures and the layering on that kind of stuff. Um, really, really good. I also I didn't even realise. Um, do you know the band Marriages? No. They were kind of a, a shoegazy kind of dream pop type band who existed about five years ago. They toured with Defo mm. and they released a really fucking good album. Uh, it's Emma Ruth Rundle who has released solo albums and stuff that she's got quite a lot of acclaim, but she was the singer in that band. I had no idea that Drab Majesty is actually the drummer from that band, uh, the project that he's started since Mad uh, Marriages quit. So this is kind of an interesting kind of link there, but it is so... Uh, this, like, this album's really, really got me over the past couple of days in terms of just choruses in my head. Obviously, I'm all about the vibe of it. Really, really good. Dolls in the Dark is the one that really stands out in terms of the the big Depeche Mode moments. Because mm. while there are bits of The Cure, and it, I mean, it's very 80-centric. I agree entirely with what you just said about uh, the last record. I liked their vibe. And I was like, this band have definitely got got something here. If only they can add songs. And songs is exactly what they've added. You've said about it being catchy. I agree. Which, again, is really, really uh, impressive given the song lengths. Yeah, yeah, a few really, really long ones. I mean, the other side, which is the opening track on this past the, the intro track, uh, the chorus on that song, it's like, an almost, it's like a Duran Duran chorus, but being sung with the melancholy of The Cure. Uh, it's it's been in my head all day it's fucking great you know dolls in the dark you mentioned uh long division another really really forlorn but sticky chorus um guitar lines like stuff like in ellipsis and dolls in the dark again those classic kind of goth rock guitar lines that, you know bits of the cure bits of sisters of mercy that kind of stuff really really um really beautiful and kind of really like um immersive in that really atmospheric goth kind of way like you know that sort of like almost retro futuristic Blade Runner type kind of vibe that I get from quite a bit of this album. It's really, really danceable in points. Um, it, it's got that thing where, you know, it's as danceable as it is immersive, which is one of the things I love about this particular type of music. There aren't many forms of pop music or electronic music or whatever that are kind of, that manage to marry, uh, manage to marry proper 
like club songs and you know beats and really really catchy hooks but you, they, you can kind of you know listen to them with headphones and get lost in the really lush kind mm. of uh textures of it there aren't many types of music that do it for me like this does when it comes to those two things together and this is a really great example now while i knew you would love it because you're a big old goth and all um ryan i'm curious to get your take on this because i thought that you would particularly dig the guitar work on yeah this i mean there's massive disintegration vibes like from the opening totally. note um on mm. this record um yeah i haven't responded anywhere near as well to this kind of symphony goth stuff as you two obviously do but this is it's that catchiness man like it takes it to a different level and it sounds very authentic of its time period like it sounds so kind of true to it it's the first time listening to like a new band doing the kind of um 80s symphony stuff that i've ever gone oh this actually feels like you're being transported back there rather than watching someone else transport themselves back there if it makes sense like yeah um i i found it loads more immersive as Perrin was saying than the um black audio or black queen records um like i'd have this over both and i think that oxytocin um might be my favorite single song to sound like this that wasn't actually made in the 80s um the way that this band like balance to total kind of zonked out subdued moods with euphoria in the choruses is really appealing like the way they the way that they can just turn a mood on its head um mm. and like Perrin was saying those guitars just sound so textured and lush throughout like so fucking good um yeah, I'm so much more in on this than I expected to be. Yeah, I think there's bits of... It's, it wears <coughs> its influences and its heart on its sleeve while ma managing to not sound too retro. Like, it doesn't sound uh, like it's aping a sound, even though its influences are very clearly there. There's loads of Bauhaus. I think Depeche Mode is the primary influence on this mainly because of the melodies the melodies yeah. are so depeche mode but it all feels very organic to the way the songs were written you know it doesn't feel like this is a band who've gone let's go and make an 80s record now you know like mm. it feels so kind of all of those influences you're talking about the reason that it's not as hard to pigeonhole them in is because they're not playing that kind of catch the reference game it's all just it all just seems to be part of their songwriting um, mm. you, like you can pick out any one of these influences in probably any one of these songs like the kind of uh, it was noise of the void that has this real like menacing darkness to it that's really like yeah the stuttering effect on the percussion there really really works yeah like that stuff it you know you don't really get the level of attention to detail in a lot of this and I've, I just found it to be so convincing as a whole package for those reasons I entirely agree. This is um, one of the more left field things that we'll pick on this show, but it is so, so good. If you like The Cure, if you like Depeche Mode, if you like the colours black and purple, then you should definitely check out the new album from Drab Majesty. It's out now. It's called Modern Mirror, and I think plenty of you will be swooning your face off about it. Right, Where Your Wounds is the side project by Jacob Bannon from Converge, uh, the original Where Your Wounds album, W-Y-W, was in, was almost sort of folklore 
for about a decade because he'd been working on it so much. There was a another release that came with a book that wasn't necessarily considered a mm. quote-unquote record. So I guess this is the second proper album from Where Your Wounds. It's called Rust on the Gates of Heaven. And um, I'm going to start this one by saying that I fucking love Jacob Ballon. I like what he stands for. I think that he is an inspiration for doing things because you love it and in the right way. Integrity is always at the forefront of what he does. Um, but I've also spent all this week listening to the Permission Land by the Darkness. <laughs> so when trying to get into the vibe of this album, I think it's very much a mood piece, Yeah. Uh, this album. And my mood hasn't fit this album's mood this week. So I would feel a little bit unfair to be saying, well, I don't think it's as engaging and I don't think it's as interesting as the first one. Um, because vibe-wise, I weren't in the space that you would... Mm. Would, you, would you agree that this is a vibe album? You have to... De- like, some albums, you have to be in a certain mood for, and oh, this definitely for feels sure. like it. I mean, this is a vibe band, I think. You could say the exact same thing about that first record. Uh, what they do... Is, I mean, the fact that it is a side project at all is obviously something that Jake doesn't consider doing in his day job, and it's because it's, it's a very specific... Uh, type of feeling that he's channeling into a dedicated project for it so absolutely do you think that it's a bit less um when i say engaging than the first where your wounds record um this is really it's it's far more morose and inside itself than that first record i think i Mm. don't agree in terms of quality i think this is better than the first album it's not. I'm not talking quality. I'm talking about its actual sound. Right. I mean, like when I say it's less engaging, I mean there is a lot of <coughs> things that are punched at you. The drumming performance, certainly, on that first where you're moving is really, is really. Uh, it doesn't let it just become background music. Whereas I find this a little bit more that way. Maybe to an extent. I think the guitars have more crunch on this. I think that the there's the production on this album is better and one of the things that that is uh reflected in is the fact that the guitars when you know, when the guitars go heavy i think they've got a bit more heft and they are more kind of front and center than they were on that first album like oh, interesting in in terms of like the morose mood i think that that's something that really colored the first record as well so i think it's a uh, i find it to be the same type of mood from the first record carried over but there are various things about it that for me at least i find this record a little bit more fulfilling yeah so i i so i think i see what's happened here because i felt the same way on my first listen to this record when i was so kind of just not i've been listening to like angel dust and culture abuse all day and i wanted instantaneous um but today when i had this on and kind of just headphones and let it take over me i also i would agree with perrin i actually found this to be more of um more of an involved listen in terms of um you know there is so much like i think more guitar in the very center of what happens on this record um and that just when those when those moments punch through um like i think it's on yeah second second half of um tomorrow's sorrow and the way that um brittle pillar opens 
those moments make the kind of morose soundscapey stuff feel incredibly impactful um but it is a record that i think you have to give give yourself to quite a lot to get there because right? with the first where your runes record um i found that easier to listen to as a whenever thing because the emotion on it and the production on it is all so raw and intimate that you kind of can't help but get drawn into that world mm. um whereas this is a bit more of an obtuse listen because i think it's it's one that's been this one's been collaboratively done instead of just Jacob Bannon. I think you can hear that in just the range of um, what's done on guitars and where where all the mood switches come in. Um, but I definitely found that first record to be more impressive than enjoyable for me personally. Um, and this one, complete 180 on it today and find this one to be so much more of a complete listen than that first record. Yeah, they've, when you say about, you know, some of the guitar parts, they've, you mentioned Brittle Pillar. Brittle Pillar opens with, like, instantaneously enormous kind of doom guitars. Uh, and they've, you know, there was nothing on that first album that kind of kicked in as immediately as that song does. You know, that song is the outlier here in terms of doing that. Then The whole album is not like that. But that is a moment where you go, fuck me, there is, like, you've just mm. pressed play on a song and you've been instantaneously slapped with enormous kind of walls of sludge, which didn't happen before. And while I think that a lot of these songs do follow a kind of a similar formula of, you know, start really, really quiet and somber, build to something heavier. Uh, and, you know, that, that formula is repeated quite a few times on here. Um, but when, like, it, it, it works a lot. And when you get to those kind of, I mean, A, the, the early parts of those tracks, they are really, really kind of beautiful and, uh, you know, intricate. And, you know, they're very, very sparse, but they're not kind of, they're not boring. You are kind of drawn to the little fragments of what is going on and it kind of coalesces. But when you get to those second halves, you know, on the title track, um, mm. the guitars that come in there, the way the second half of that song, pretty much the entire second half is one long solo. Uh, and it's a, like incredibly expressive Really, like incredibly you know melancholic but super big it's a really really amazing piece of lead work and it's backed by again those walls of guitar the drum work again from the first album it's the same guy and i think it's the guy who was in trap then um but really really great kind of undercurrent to those tracks and i think that um you know weirdly i, f I find that in where your wounds bannon's vocals are kind of the least interesting part because he mm. like he does a range of things in Converge, whereas Where Your Wounds, he kind of does the same uh, moody kind of, you know, very, very, very miserable, somber, quiet singing. And sometimes as the songs progress and build and you get to those walls of sound, his vocal is kind of quite far back and not necessarily as dynamic and interesting as some of the stuff going around it. I think it works, but they, like he's not a standout component, I don't think, vocally. Um, yeah. But just the, the walls of again the walls of guitars everything they hit. i find that when this album gets to those moments um which come reasonably regularly uh whether it's the compositions or the production i find that the kind of the impact that it brings personally is bigger than the the those moments i got on the first album which i think again yeah. comes down to that first album was kind of a long period of bannon piecing things together you know over many many years and kind of maybe not yet really putting the production value into it. Uh, whereas here, collaborative process, gone into the studio properly, 
I think it's a more complete album in that sense, rather than fragments collected over years. Yeah, the sun's come out out here. It's, <laughs> it's 90 degrees out, and I've been yeah. listening to hair metal in the sun. So trying to get into into the vibe for where your wounds is just a case of this week. It's not been for me. Yeah, and it, and it is really dense as well. Like it. <clears throat> it's not hard for me to get into a morose mood for a rec- for a record most of the time, but even <laughs> but even on this one, I kind of found myself resisting it um, on the first couple of listens. What Perrin was saying about the the vocals is very true. I think I thought on the first record, one of the things that was the most engaging was hearing Jacob Bannon be that kind of raw and close to your ear and you know more vulnerable sounding than you've ever usually heard him. You know, it's a lot. Um, that was arguably the biggest draw for me, but I think what is um, the instrument instrumental side of this album is I think like miles ahead of the last one, and where Bannon's vocals do sound very like it. It's odd hearing vocals as kind of distant and restrained when there's so much other stuff going on because it almost might as well not be there. But the emotional notes that the actual instrumentation can take you to on this record is brilliant. Um, and you know, just to further on to what Perrin's saying, Kurt Ballou did a seriously wicked job on this. Like that title track, so many um, individual components kind of come in around Bannon's vocal line, and by the time it gets to the crescendo, it sounds like the fucking sun is exploding. It is really, really massive. Um, but you know, Kurt Ballou is good at producing, isn't much of a take <laughs> at this point. <laughs> well, it's always important to point out nonetheless so there you go the new album from where your wounds is out now rust on the gates of heaven is its name if you're in the mood for something that is very it feels like a very late night album and is quite dour then you can do a lot worse than where your wounds rust on the gates of heaven final album this week Ryan, why do they call themselves this i don't know like like this stuff kills me like i really i think that 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 new Dave Batista comedy, right, looks really good. But the fact that it's called Stuber is enough to make me not want to go and see it, right? Uh, Prince Daddy and the Hyena are this band's name for yeah. some reason. Cosmic Thrill Seekers is the name of the record. Um, we were discussing what to put in for the third album this week. Uh, you said you weren't sure if everyone is going to be into this but for your scene it's something that you would be willing to bat super hard <coughs> for yeah um can you give us a bit of background on prince daddy and the hyena yeah um there are new york kind of i think this is another one of the many bands that started as a one-man project that develops into um oh cool i've got these songs written let's just take them like the internet the internet has done a really interesting thing to the emo world where you will hear a fair few records like this. You can argue that the first one might have been the um, the, the self-titled pop record. <clears throat> but I, I brought on that Barely March band before. Um, Mum Jeans are doing all right for themselves. Um, Jeff Rosenstock, loads of stuff like that. It's almost like this kind of ADD version of emo that looks to make as much noise and feedback and racket as possible. Um, and you know this band put out put out their first record. Um, I thought you didn't even I thought you didn't even like leaving in twenty sixteen, and they really slowly built an internet fan base. Um, and just from touring as well, and online word of mouth, and just them working hard, got this to the point where I'd say that after Pup, this is probably 
one of the more anticipated records of the year from my scene. Um, with only really Oso Oso, who have a very similar kind of progression story competing with that. Um, yeah, I, the, you know, in terms of um, me saying I wasn't sure if people would dig it, it's... It's not that I. It's not that I wouldn't back this record. I think it's fucking brilliant. Um, but I. But I do think that Perrin's going to tell you about the vocals being an acquired taste for one. Um, but there's th there's something about this where it's not packed full of anthems in the way that a lot of the best pop punk and emo records are. But I think that what they've done within that kind of messy punk framework on this record is brilliant. I think it's pretty decent. I think that's why I had to go in hard on the name first. Yeah. I think so many people... Well, I just think so many people will look at that and just go, God, fuck that. Yeah, I mean, I um, didn't listen to that first record until about 20... Maybe the start of 2018 because of the name. Like. Yeah, right, good. Not just me then. Um, I can definitely see the, the ties to Jeff Rosenstock in that some weird stuff happens instrumentally. Yeah. Um, when the horn section kicks in and stuff like that is very weird. Um, <laughs> and I can see, I mean, you said, uh, what, was it, what are they called, Melly March? Barely March? Yeah, Melly, uh, Barely March, yeah. Yeah, Barely March, and uh, we did dollar signs and a bunch mm. of this sort of stuff that I think that this is quite relatable to. Um, do you think Pup fans will dig this? Because Pup has been one of the best received <coughs> records this year. If I was putting together my albums of the year now, it would figure very, 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 very highly. Yeah, me too. Um, Pup are a lot further along in their development in terms of writing, especially in instantaneous songs. Um, I think that Pup are arguably the best band of my scene at the moment. Like, the Menzingers fucking brilliant but pop have pop have pop have built this and their live show is so ridiculous that i think they are the kind of beloved punk band of the moment i think they're um, a bit more original as well aren't they in yeah the, like they've got their sound the amazing yeah, well, is you can't say the meetings <clears throat> without saying springsteen and hot water music and whatever yeah ex that's that is definitely part of it pop feels much more like its own entity where the menzingers feels like a band that might have happened before um, well, I mean, they kind of did in the Gaslight Anthem, but yeah, know, yeah. still love them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of influences on this as well, I think it borrows really well um, from things like Motion City Soundtrack um, to an extent. In 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 the willingness to get to get quirky and weird and go off in bizarre tangents, but still manage to pull it back into a hook somehow. Um, I think they do that really well. They've clearly been listening to um, like the Black Parade and American Idiot, this band, like because this is not not sure if it's necessarily been been like followed by by you guys, but it is a sort of three act concept record that's loosely based around the Wizard of Oz. Um, I, I I wouldn't be able to explain it in like like from memory here, but um, but they've definitely set out to to write a collection like an actual kind of complete piece of work rather than rather than the debut record which was a very messy messy album really fun but i did not see them one record later going all right cool we're gonna go with you know self-referential songs and everything feeds into itself and like the i think the pacing of this record's wicked like there's been so much um 
so much put into the smaller details on this in a way that I didn't think a band where messiness was their entire calling card. Like that first record is, I'd say, about sixty percent feedback. You know, like it, it is. It's it's very we've we've made this song, the, these songs to play loudly in a basement and probably won't ever get any bigger than that. Um, but yeah, they they have they've stepped it up massively on this one. I think um, you definitely wouldn't have got a song like Prototype of the Ultimate Life Form um, on the last record. The way that song kind of, like I was saying, they they come back to hooks, hooks after hooks after hooks on this, and manage to just keep raising the stakes across songs that are not really longer than two and a half minutes, but still go to a bunch of weird places. Um, I'll also say, give this one a couple of goes because it is... It's a lot to take in on first listen. That's it. Like, there are... There's an argument that there are three songs per song and those songs aren't over three minutes. So you, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a really disorientating listen. Um, but once some of those hooks get there just get their claws into you it's fucking so good like one of the one of the like shout along records so bearing in mind that it is ambitious in its scope it is quirky but still got good hooks on it um perrin what do you make of prince daddy and his hyena uh well well positives first uh i didn't find this one to be kind of devoid of interesting moments and like, like i have felt about some records in this vein in the past you know i appreciate you know, when you're talking about some of the weird directions it goes in um some of those things did kind of catch my ear and i went oh that's you know that's a creative idea that's an interesting way of doing things you know it's the second record this week with steel guitar on it because there's some on the way your wounds record <laughs> and there's some here so mad there uh you know when you mentioned the horns trumpets kind of there's like synths and xylophones that emerge like sometimes i think that those are end up sort of being at odds with what's going on and it's kind of more a bizarre choice than it is a fitting one um mm. but it is it is a record that keeps you on your toes in regards to kind of the things it throws at you and i also found that you know we've mentioned pup um I, pup are a band i really like despite not really liking the thing that they do very much in terms of the scene they exist in <laughs> and yeah there's like you know th this album has some fun fuzzy kind of upbeat energetic uh you know guitar and drum parts that remind me quite a bit of pup if much less catchy much less pointed much less kind of along in the development of actually honing those mm. into you know sharp delivered ideas um but you know that kind of vibe it did hit me and i went you know there, there's energy to this where you know i've listened to some of these other records and they've completely left me unmoved this has some kick to it um unfortunately as soon as you press play on this album it starts with acoustic guitars and i audibly said fuck off uh and 45 <laughs> seconds later when his voice comes in and it is it's an inherently bad vocal performance i'm sorry <laughs> like yeah. it, it, he's drunk he kills all of the melodies by sounding completely off his face and mangling them beyond recognition and that experience coming at the very beginning of the album kind of colored the rest of it for me where or, you know, I know you've just said about the shout along vocal parts or whatever. For me, they are like, I just want him to stop, please. Um, and you get, <laughs> again, when you go into some of the other kind of bizarre things they throw in there, some of it's like um, on the sort of title track, there's like a, a weird kind of falsetto that opens it and it keeps popping up throughout the song. And the falsetto is so bad and the song is constantly derailed by it. Where every time you think it's going to have moved on, it comes back to it. It's like 
this is not a good vocal part. Why are you sticking this here? So for me, there, you know, there were some interesting ideas and it's got its energy and its kick to it, but uh, categorically not for me, unsurprisingly. Yeah, I think that there is, there could be something here. Like, I'm not blown away by it. I don't, like, nothing particularly made me go, uh, whatever, and then I'm not bothered about what they do in the future. Because I, I like the level of ambition, but can't help but feel with focus will become a better band. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, like I said, the biggest negative that I have about this is as much as I respect the meandering kind of non-linear approach to songwriting that they've taken here, you can't help, like, when you've listened to this album for a few weeks, especially, like, you can't help but go, oh, where's that one song? You know, where's, where's like, that song that I fucking love off this record? And it doesn't really have it. It's an album that I listen to either in full or I don't, um, just because I like what it does. Um, but if they can hone the kind of, again, like Pup, if they can hone that into something um, sharper and a bit less, a bit less alienating to people like Perrin, essentially. No, not even not even alienating to people like Perrin. I think there'll be people that are far closer to me on the spectrum that might go, oh, I'm not sure about these vocals. You know, like, but, yeah. but then but then Pup Singer doesn't have the best voice either, you know? There's, I mean... He's got melodies, though. Yeah, he does. Um, and I think that that will come with this band. Like, the jump from the first record to this, to this one tells me that this is a band that are going to be developing record to record if nothing else um and i think that if you listen to this and there are bits that you like a see them live because i haven't yet but videos looks raucous as hell um and b keep an eye out because i really do think that you know this album doesn't need to be as long as it does this album doesn't need to be three songs per song i like that it is i like that it's weird like that but i do think that their best record is going to come when they put out 10 tracks that are brilliant yeah, there's definitely something here. I'm intrigued to get your take on it. The band are called Prince Daddy and the Hyena, and the album is called Cosmic Thrill Seekers. That is your albums this week. Album Club this week is one of the finest albums ever created. Uh, it comes from 1992, and it comes from Alice in Chains, and it is called Dirt. Uh, you might have heard of it. It is uh, the follow-up to Facelift. Uh, a debut album that saw Alice in Chains become uh, a, a hot new band and also a band beloved by other bands at this point in time. It felt like they were a band that... Um, I love Facelift, right? I think it's fucking so good. But even then... Like, I can imagine hearing that for the first time, it being a new band and just being enraptured by it, but super stoked to see where this band go next. Mm. Um, so, when it comes to the big four of grunge, about uh, something that we've debated quite a bit this week, actually, on the That's Not Metal.net special, um, what are Alice in Chains' key characteristics, Ryan? Yeah, well, darkness was always the word that I associated with Alice in Chains before I even knew all that much about them. Um, but I don't think I was quite ready for just how bleak this band can be. Um, <laughs> you know, this album is... 
I'm sure we'll get into it, but like it is tainted from start to finish with the stench of addiction and death. Um, and that is, it, it's not just, oh, the lyrics are about that. It feels like every single part of this record is kind of made under that cloud. Um, and that level of darkness is really something. I can also see why Alice in Chains are the metal fans grunge band of choice at this point, because Jerry, Cant Jerry Cantrell's guitar work on this, like even taking aside all the cool stuff that he does with pedals, just the sheer straight ahead riffs on this album. Um, yeah, riffs and darkness is my answer. Yeah, Perrin, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think because this album has legit all-time world-conquering hits on it. It's weird to think of this album as a quote-unquote bleak album when you consider the where bleak goes in the realms of rock and some of the bleak music that we listen to on this podcast. Um, and yet, in its own way, this is as dark as any of those uh, bands and soundscapes that you want to mention. Is that fair? For sure. I mean, you know, you look at around this time and a bunch of kind of very, very like oppressively bleak albums get to kind of massive status where you look at something like The Downward Spiral or whatever, you know, coming out within a few years. It's uh, the natural bedfellow for dirt, I think. In terms of like just suffocating darkness, I, I, I get that. Um but yeah, like when, when Ryan says about it, every single second of it being coloured by such kind of um, that mood, it really, really is true because you know, there are plenty of records where people, again, will talk about the lyrics being dark or whatever. Mm. But this, it seeps into every kind of pore of it, whether it's, you know, the guitar work, the really, really off-kilter rhythms, um, the way, you know, they those flow in together, obviously... Lane's vocal, even without paying attention to what he's saying, you it really, really just comes out the kind of the the sorrow and the pain of it all. Um, you add in everything around it, and it is properly uh, just menacing, scary, heartbreaking album. I think when you look at the story of Dirt, the personalities involved. Um, you know, Staley and Cantrell swarm all over everything that Alice in Chains did in their first incarnation. And um, the rhythm section are fucking phenomenal. But let's look into actual personalities. Because Dave Jordan, who produced this record, also produced Facelift and tells a story of when they turned up to record Facelift, they were a bit green and kind of, you know, where's the local strip club when they record their <laughs> album in Los Angeles? And by the time they turned up for Dirt, you had uh, in Lane Staley someone that had been to rehab, come out and got hooked on heroin, uh, which, of course, the slang term of which is Dirt, which we'll get to. Um, and I feel you can hear the personality shift from facelift to dirt for sure all, o all over this record um not only does dirt feel like an appropriate um appropriate name for an album that does feel quite in a very literal sense dirty mm. i'm not talking 
sleazy or anything like that. I'm talking like like pure the house hasn't been cleaned in three weeks because everyone's been smacked out of their face everything is dirty nothing has been cleaned dust and dirt is everywhere the verse riff in junkhead which is the same as the main riff but when you know when the verse comes in and it kind of palm mutes it and it's just so fucking like dirty it's like having dirt under your fingernails Mm, I agree, and there's plenty of moments in that. Yeah. But let's talk about um, let's talk big hitters first, because when <laughs> it's funny when dirt comes to mind, the first thing that screams out at me is the last second of them bones into the first second of damn that river being one of the best moments in any record that you'll ever find the one-two punch that opens this album is an absolute fucking riff storm if you like guitars um here it is here's five and a half minutes that basically spells out everything that's good about six strings a bit of wood and loud fucking amps yeah my my favorite alice in chain song alternates between the first two tracks on this album Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's them Straight bones. Straight up metal. <laughs> sometimes it's down that river. I think right now I'd probably say down that river, but it, you know it changes all the time because those two songs together, as you say, my fucking god, way them bones comes in with this you know weird kind of seven eight time signature that yeah. gives it this kind of thrusting but unnatural feel. So it's instantaneous. You know, you got fucking Lane just yelling over it as well. Just ah, like it gives it this instantaneous, which dis- wasn't written. He he just, just came did up it, with yeah. it in the come up with it in the studio, mad. Yeah, but it gives it like as soon as you press play on it, it's dis uh, it's disorientating, it's horrid. You know, the, yet the escalation of that riff in the verse, like, na, 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 it feels like kind of edging towards something terrible. Um, and then, as you say, the transition is down that river, which is more. You know, it's not a, a weird time signature like them bones, but fuck me does it hit hard like the damn that river's opening riff the main riff on it is pure beavis and butthead it's one of the best riffs ever metal metal horns (laughs) in the air four forehead bang that is how you do it fuck me it's nasty yeah it's incredible stuff ryan um what stood out for you amongst the i'm keen to get your take on because while this album expands explodes into life with those two songs it is really brought down to earth with rain when i die which is a song that i think that when you compare soundgarden to black sabbath uh i think it's in that kind of iomi crunchy riffy Mm. type way whereas when you compare alice in chains's black sabbath moment it's in the pure dramatic dark doomy horror that you can get off the best Black Sabbath stuff. Um, what was your take on the sludgier, do- doomier moments that exist on Dirt? Probably some of my favourite parts. I mean, I, f- I just feel like it drags you down to its level in terms of in, in terms of those doomy moments. Like, you've been hit with those opening two songs, as you said. And I think, the, like, just to touch on that quickly, so there's something really great about that transition from 7-8 and to not being in 7-8 for the next song where it smashes even yeah. fucking harder. Um, but yeah, like, the by the time you get into kind of the middle section and, you know, not just not just that, but even, you know, that, that run that's got, like, Junkhead and Godsmack. Um, the heroin suite, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, like, 
you get so because it's such a dirge it's this weird psychedelic opiate dirge that just literally drags you so down into it it's so easy to groove along with you know like it it, it's a record that drags you along with it even in those kind of sludgier moments that aren't you know in the hands of a lot of bands those sludgier moments would be maybe passive yeah like whereas in this i think it's so um it's so suiting to the overall haze of the album that it's that it's even more impactful um yeah like i i i really found myself going fucking hell right like once again with not checking out you know not going hard on a band soon enough um with this one like I'd heard stuff like Rooster and Wood and um, yeah. and and then Bones, but it was those do me a dirtier moments where I was like, "Fuck, there's really something here for me." Yeah, when Rain When I Die, Rain When I Die, which is the only song on Dirt that is written by all four mm. members as well. I think that Jordan's production job deserves. I mean, firstly for like getting an album together full stop with a band that <laughs> yeah. are like falling apart at the seams like Lane Staley apparently hated Jordan on this record to which Jordan said something really fucking brilliant which is I'm here to make a record I'm not here to be his mate like which is sp- <laughs> well it's spot on man because yeah. like without that level of focus like you probably don't end up with the straight 10 out of 10 on every fucking level that this record is. But I, I digress. Jordan's production job and the the th- the thick textures, almost like goop that yeah. opens Rain When I Die yeah. from that bass and drums in tandem and the way it kind of just sort of swamps out of the speaker is you get disgusting those. and alluring. Yeah, you get those kind of like, I don't know whether it's keys or something, but you get this like clinking effect that sounds like broken glass. Um, so like the first like minute and a half of that song, it's like the, the bass tone, which is just, you know, dirt, often enough. Um, you get these really, really disorientating kind of squalling feedback guitars. You get those kind of breaking glass effects. Um, and, you know, you, this is like a, you know, a huge song, but it's the first minute of it is just like horrid noise. But then when that guitar riff comes in, you know, the main riff of so much kind of wah and swagger. Um, and the, again, the chorus just cuts through everything with such a kind of like proclamation. Um, it's like a lot of this album, despite being, you know, so sludgy, so horrible. Um, part of the beauty of it is the way those melodies kind of fly and the way like there is mm. so much beauty on it. There are so many moments that are life affirming as it kind of, you know, comes out of that murk. Um, it's an amazing kind of collection of things, you know. Without ever, you know, the choruses still sound like you know dark, and you know you've got Lane singing them, and everything there like that. A, there is a song that perfects what you just spoke about with the the light and darkness on this record, and that's Angry Chair. Yeah, like, man, the, the chorus and that is gorgeous. It just feels so transcendent and euphoric in amongst all of this kind of fucking. Do you understand what I was saying about Black Sabbath as well? For sure, yeah. You know, when you listen to the title track "Black Sabbath," and you think of the, you know, the one, the kind of operatic horror with the rain effects and everything, and um, you know, obviously that riff. But there's so much space around it where you can kind of like you can almost imagine that space being filled by scary shit. Uh, hmm. 
and like there is, know, there is well, there is literally rain in the middle of Sick Man, isn't there? Yeah, well, the fucking you know Sick Man's got that weird three four waltz kind of tripped out daydream. I was like, mm. who put this here? But it's brilliant. Um, but Angry Chair, you know, so good. Yeah, like Angry Chair, the main riff in Angry Chair, the doom 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 doom. It's got a very similar kind of sparse but very very menacing um, impact that like the title Ominous. track Black Sabbath does. Ominous, exactly. Yeah, mm. for sure. So. Um, slower tracks before we get into what you quite brilliantly call the heroin suite. I think it's great. Um, <laughs> this is like some of the genius of this. The main part of, part of genius of this record is that it is 57 minutes and 37 seconds long, right? It's nearly an hour. And yet there are albums that are 30 minutes that feel like a, no pun intended, that feel like a grind. Um, mm. But this album is an hour long, and it whizzed by. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It, I had to listen to this record once this morning in the run up to this because I know it like I know my own. Yeah, so but, but like, it, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, that hour is just fucking whizzed by. Um, but the thing that really, t- another one of the things that really stand out is the opening fifteen minutes of this record. When you've got those opening three songs, and then you get to down in a hole, which is pure beauty it might have that kind of smacked out feel to it just because most of this record does even when i think maybe it just plays into the narrative of this Mm. record because isolated i wouldn't necessarily feel that way about down in a hole because it's such a a beautiful catchy borderline sort of hippie type vibe to it um and yet when it's in here it still feels grimy and he's singing about being down in a hole which yeah, is, but, is both but, grimy and isolating. But yeah, and he, but it's it's like I always just pre- presume that it was literal. Do you know what I mean? Like people talk about the K hole and all the rest of it. But Cantrell insists, insists that it was written about a girl and it's a long time love song about how being on tour means that you can't maintain a long term relationship. Yeah, man, it's a but tearjerker, you, isn't it? There you go. You see, what you were saying about that hippie vibe, though, that comes through on a lot of this record like um staley's vocals do it they do this very otherworldly kind of um melodic approach where he kind of he'll lean across syllables and hang on a note that kind of like he'll stretch a syllable into the groove of a song like it definitely happens on rain when i die um but it's so interesting because what other vocalists would have delivered that line that way you know, like there are so many kind of, oh, that, that, why does that melody go to that note at that point? You know, there are so many kind of little jarring moments, but on, on that, when he, when he goes slow and takes it more, um, yeah, hippie is a great word for it, but it's very soulful in that way. You know, it's not like, it's not kind of carefree hippie. It's some sort of, like, like I said, just this like psychedelic soul um that that comes through on it it's it's a really bizarre um effect but it's so enticing mrs beezer does not like alice in chains <gasps> scum kick her out no <laughs> um but her her vibe is that she can't get with the melodies uh the harmonies of cantrell and staley mm. because it's just that little bit too moody and miserable for her um, yeah. I can't agree with her in any capacity. Perrin, <laughs> help me. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the 
probably the defining characteristic of Alice in Chains musically amongst you know all the various things with Cantrell's guitar work and everything we're talking about the the vocal approach of Staley and Cantrell with the harmonies is so uh special and you know the kind of thing that various bands have tried to ape and no one's ever quite matched it in terms of its power you know the way apart from from alice in chains themselves bizarrely (laughs) well it helps when you're the guy writing those melodies but yeah yeah um well you know you could have lane singing a song on his own and it will sound enrapturing it will sound heartbreaking it will sound powerful because that is the power of that man's voice but you add cantrell in there as well and you know adding you know different levels of it uh not only does it sonically kind of you know thicken out the mix somewhat but it brings out more of the melancholy it brings out more of the emotion somehow uh that it really my god does it work well you know something on like the title track where the title track has got this weird kind of almost middle eastern style melodicism throughout it Mm. um which is such a unique flavor on an album that's full of really unique and you know standout moments um but the the harmonies just work so so brilliant you know wood as well obviously it's all over it rooster as well because you know rooster being um a cantrell written song very personal to cantrell's own kind of family history of it being about his father's vietnam kind of uh experiences um just having like it's almost with this album being so lost in kind of you know the sways of addiction and that kind of thing that's that's part of the story that and obviously with with lane passing away the way he did it's kind of easy to maybe just attach it to lane's experiences um but it is a real collaborative kind of band feeling where, you know, they were all kind of in the in these dark places. And I think, you know, having Cantrell uh, stepping up to the mic alongside Lane to give it, 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 it makes it so, there's a level of authenticity. Yeah, those harmonies and Jerry Cantrell's riffing and wah work uh, mm. are the two defining characteristics of this record for me uh when we talk about the the heroin suite we're talking about junkhead dirt godsmack i am glad and hate to feel uh, which is a five song run that is intended to be the story of um like lane wrote it in wanting to just document what it's like and not glamorize it Uh, and he struggled with when people were when fans were coming up to him afterwards and kind of being like yeah i'm i'm on heroin like thumbs up and lane was like yeah that was totally not the vibe um it is so immersive you talk about the title track which i think is it's it's the it's the it's the middle point literally of the of the five song run but uh, oh no, it's not. Um, like Dirt, the song itself seems to have an almost glamour to it. Like there's a chic to the yeah. song Dirt. In with that, e- you're right to point out the eastern flavour of it. But it feels quite, while head, it's hedonistic and it's otherworldly, it's got an almost glam feel to it. Whereas junkhead godsmack and hate to feel in particular all have really fucking weird riffing yeah like I mean, junkhead being the one where it starts and you know you talk about it being kind of uh, a documentation of what kind of the throes of addiction are like almost junkheads being the beginning point 
is kind of the most hedonistic part of it where you know the chorus what's my drug of choice well what have you got um works so brilliantly when you've got the following songs to come that show the downturn of that kind mm. of behavior um dirt you talk about that that feel to it but he's still singing i want you to kill me it's so oppressively bleak you know godsmack the the way lone uh, when you're talking about lane's bizarre approach to melodies the kind of the way he you know vibrates his voice the vibrato Sounds, in the melodies sounding sounding like a sheep being shook yeah on godsmack <laughs> it's like that's one of those moments where you go no one else would do that and a lot of people yeah. would, who if they tried to do that it would sound stupid but yeah. when when Lane does it on that song in, in you know at that point in the record, um, it's so unsettling. It's so kind of wrong feeling. Um, that's like this is one of those records where with the grunge records, like Nevermind has massive singles on it that you can just you know you can. I know that sequencing kind of always plays a part, but you can listen to Nevermind on shuffle perhaps. And kind of mm. get a similar where it's just banger after banger hitting you, yeah. as long as you don't get fucking endless nameless turning up and ruining things. Um, yeah. Dirt is like of all the grunge albums, one of the reasons it's my favorite. It's the one that feels like the most complete album experience to me. Where you press play on track one, you go through in order to the end, and it is it is a journey. It's an experience. It kind of it tells a story in parts. Uh, it's there is not a second on it that doesn't feel precisely where it ought to be, you know? And I think that, you know, that the heroin suite, the midsection of the album is the obvious part of that. Well, you know, Iron Gland, where you've just got fucking Tom Array yelling just randomly, uh, works brilliantly in between Gosmack and Hate to Feel. Yeah, um, we have on our specials, which you should definitely check out the, on the That's Not Metal Premium, um, on both Metallic, well, Slayers and for what I'm about to say, Metallica's. Uh, the the Nirvana effect and the effect of grunge and alt-rock had on the thrash bands and bands from the 80s um, was immeasurable, right? Like, mm. in total, some of them... Like, they all had tough 90s, right? Iron Maiden had a tough 90s. Slayer did, Megadeth did, Anthrax did. The only two bands from the 80s that I can think of that had strong 90s were Bon Jovi and Metallica. And I would argue that Dirt is the album that saved Metallica. When it comes to what happened in alternative rock and what happened to rock music and all the rest of it, Dirt was an album that had enough muscle in the riffing from where Metallica had gone in the Black Album for Load to happen. Load does not happen without Dirt. It doesn't mm. on every level. The Hamit Ward effect, the the slower, moodier but still hard hitting moments like fucking uh, The Thorn Within or um until it sleeps or fucking especially bleeding me don't happen without Alice in Chains doing this. I think this album saved Metallica from having to suffer the fate that so many of their peers did. Yeah, well, I mean, I a, a lot of people would hear dirt caused load and take that negatively, but we don't mean it that way. <laughs> no, and it didn't impact Metallica's popularity in any way. Like, mm. Metalhead's got the arse, but then we usually do about something. <laughs> uh, what was your take going to be there, Ryan? No, I was just going to say that um, I feel like 
Alice in Chains happen it happen like the fact that they just happen to come from Seattle might have done a very big favor favor for metal in that sense because I don't know that this is a grunge record if they're not from Seattle. Like there's it it's grungy sure, but there's a if I heard this in isolation, I'd probably assume this was a like some sort of proto doom record rather than rather than a grunge album. So I can definitely see why that would kind of you know, lean out and give a hand to a band like Metallica and just be like, look, you can still sound kind of like a metal band. (laughs) And let's let's face it, right? Fucking, I know Metallica and Guns N' Roses tried to get Nirvana to open their their co-headline stadium tour. But, like, you couldn't, like, this is a band that were on Clash of the Titans with Megadeth and Slayer. Alice in Chains, like mm. that can't happen with any of the other bands. I don't even think Soundgarden would do that. Yeah. Uh, so there you go, Metalheads of choice. And I think, um, were it not for Hurt uh, being the last song on the Downward Spiral, I think this album would have a serious shout for the best last song on a record ever. Yeah, man. When it comes to um, them as a grunge band. I think Wood predated this record, and Wood yeah. was like the main song from singles, like grunge's big moment in yeah, cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with those two being so ubiquitous, um, I think that yeah, like it's it's weird that they fit, and yet Wood is fucking perfect, isn't it? Like it as is far as Lane an Staley, unbelievable song. <laughs> as far as Lane Staley being as powerful as he is, like when that chorus comes in every time, and I've seen, I've seen Alice in Chains live do this in person with Phil Anselmo and with James Hetfield, uh, and it still doesn't sound as good as when Lane Staley does that into the flood again. Just. And those are no slouches when it comes to vocalists, Anselmo and Hetfield. Yeah, that's yeah, another point it? where, like, even though it is the big single from the album, and as you say, it's a song that predated the album itself, so it's not even like in its initial form it was written here. But when I talk about the sequencing of the album, the way everything works, having Wood at the end come after that long period of, like, um, drawn-out horror... It's one of those moments where, like I said, despite it, the album being so bleak, being so suffocating, the moments when it takes off are properly uh, just absolutely incredible to behold. And Wood coming at the end after that section of the album is the moment. Yeah, it feels like such a, such a release. After, yeah, for sure. After That's the, exactly uh, it. the record, you know, like, but yeah, Staley's an alien. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, it's funny, like, the, I feel like the end of the heroin run like when hate to feel goes all fucking two-step at the end um an angry chair and wood it does kind of leave you in a in a different place to the journey it's taken you on but um i've just fucking one of the best one of the absolute best 27 years on and it still slaps um fucking mental uh as well just uh, the only thing that i didn't say that was in my notes is when you were quite rightly talking about cantrell and his dad being a vietnam vet and everything he brought to rooster rooster's one of the few songs that its music video somehow takes a 10 out of 10 song and still makes it better it's so effective it's so um 
numbing in so many ways. But yeah, uh, they've written some really fucking great records. Alice in Chains. Like, Facelift is fucking brilliant. I think self-titled is criminally I love the self-titled. And it? It's yeah. so underrated. And it has... I think that's because it's so doomy and metal and yeah, dirty that, like, that why people like you and I will vibe with it. But um, they have not got anything in their canon even remotely close to dirt, even as great as those records are. And make no mistake about it, they are fucking great. But dirt is all-time fucking all-star record there you go <sighs> fuck yeah right we will see oh god now i've got to talk about sabaton coming next week what the <laughs> hell? Oh, hell sorry yeah. baron uh so next week on the show some 41 sabaton the brothers in arms that always should have been uh make sure you're subscribed to that's not metal the uk's original rock and metal podcast uh leave us a review on itunes this week if you've never done so just do it it helps um and we will see you next week for also an album club that is one of the more obscure album clubs we've ever done but we mention it an awful lot on this show and always have done um yeah i'll leave it at that we'll see you next week bye oh that's not metal.net premium uh get us on the app uh join us at not metal pod and all the rest of it but uh there is a battle special this week if you haven't got your grunge fill from what we just said about that. Uh, join us for the big four of Thrash versus the big four of Grunge. That is Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth and Anthrax versus Nevada, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains in a heavyweight battle that includes all manner of lols and arguments. That's not metal.net. is a place to go and get that. We'll see you next time. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.